Thank you. It's uh, nice to, to, to be here with you. I'm afraid my cover's been blown. And you're not going to sit there saying, what's that strange accent? Because you're going to know. Um, it, it is a real pleasure to be with you here this morning. Um, and I've been asked to share something of God's Word with you. Now, when I say share God's Word with you, I'm using that very particularly. Because I believe that this book... The Bible is God's word. It's God speaking to us. It was actually penned through God, yes, using lots of different authors over many years, but God himself ultimately is the author of this book, and then when we open it, he is speaking to us. But what I would like to do this morning is start with, with a question. Um, my wife always laughs, because when I say I'm going to say something, I always say it three times. It's a bad habit I've got, which you'll probably see. So, whilst it's a question, it's really three questions rolled into one. Um, and the question is, who is the God of the Bible? Who is this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that we read about in this Bible? Who is Jesus Christ? And then, really importantly... What's that got to do with you and me? What's, how does that relate to you and me anyway? That's actually a very valid question. And it's a good question because it's a question that's been asked for well over 6,000 years now. People have been asking themselves this question. And it's a good question too because one, it's a question which every one of us will have to answer. Either in our lives or... At our deaths, we'll have to answer that question. Who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? And what's that got to do with me? Every man, woman, and child will need to answer that, including every one of us sat in this room here. So I'll give you a minute just to think. Answer it in your mind. Who is the God of the Bible? What does He mean to me? Can I know Him? How can I know Him? It's a very important question. As I say, it's been asked for over 6,000 years now. For the Old Testament Jews, living under the law, living under the temple sacrifice system, for them, Yahweh, God, was, he was, pro, he was definitely impossible to see. He was difficult to know. And... I suspect as we read through the Old Testament, he was probably quite frightening. Or maybe they even, they even viewed him as an angry God. Because some of the things and some of his dealings seem hard or, or maybe even harsh. His, his judgments, they seem so absolute. His punishments... Well, as we read them today, they, they kind of almost seem extreme, don't they? His law was, was proven to be oppressive. Well, especially by the time the Pharisees had put their spin on it and made it impossible to keep. And his presence, his presence must have seemed so remote and so distant. hidden away in the Holy of Holies in the temple and seen by one man one day every year. 
Is that our understanding of God? That the, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he's unknowable, that he's distant, that he's angry, that he's remote and irrelevant? Well, our Bibles tell us he is absolutely not like that at all. It actually explains to us what in, in modern day parlance we would say is God is relational. God is relational. That means that he, he's constantly through history made himself known. And he wants us to know him. Because he wants a relationship with us. And he does and he will reveal himself in incredible ways. The Bible also tells us incredibly that, that he knows us completely. But he wants us to know him. And we can. And so in some ways that's, well, not in some ways, that is actually my topic for this morning. That God gets personal. He makes it personal with each and every one of us. Now, we know that God has revealed himself. Tells us clearly that God has revealed himself through creation. So if we turn to Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Do you ever stand at night and look at the night sky and just wonder? There's that little phrase, he made the stars also. <laughs> you know, just made billions of stars as a side of side show. But it's there to declare something of God and his glory. Well, Romans 1.20 tells us, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So, yes, God has declared something of himself through the works of his hands, through creation, and through us, and us as part of his creation too. But if, if we jump now just for a moment into a specific period in time and history, and think about those predominantly Jews that we, we read of who were living at the time that Jesus came and was born and came to this earth. So I guess that's about year zero, isn't it? And for them, at that time... If we know anything of our history of the Old Testament, at that time, God's promises, I think a lot of them did believe God's promises to be true, but they must have seemed so long in being fulfilled. Those who had understood any of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Messiah had waited. And waited, and waited, for 400 years now, there's been nothing. For 400 years since the last prophet had written, not a word from God. And then suddenly, John writes what is our text for today in his, his, his gospel in chapter 1 and 14. 
400 years, 10 generations, silence, not a word. And then John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. It's that first little sentence. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So for 400 years, there's been not a word at all, nothing, complete, absolute silence. And then suddenly, the word, the living embodiment of what God is and who God is and of God himself comes to live amongst them. So that they'll know what God is like. So they'll really understand and see God for who he is. He personally comes to live amongst them here on this earth as a man, as a person, as a human being. And that is absolutely incredible. It is, and and some of these things that we read, if we know them well, the impact of them is lost on us. But just think again, nothing, no word from God, and suddenly God himself is living amongst them. Now, we've said that God did reveal himself in creation, and he did. He also revealed something of himself as he dealt with the patriarchs. Abraham and Isaac and Joseph. Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And then the prophets. And the kings. And they all, through his dealings with all of his people, there was little glimpses and hints. But... But as I said earlier, God knows us and he knows us completely and he understands us. And he knows that for us as, 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 as limited human beings, we really struggle to understand things if we can't see them. We really struggle unless we can feel and touch. And it's something, you know, so much of what God spoke of was, was shrouded in types and symbols and mysteries. And, and they didn't get it. And then, so God, in his glory and in his grace and in his plans and his, his amazing wisdom, he comes and becomes a man and lives amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. A true and complete and full revelation of God himself. But in a human being, in a person. So that we might know him and understand John, in his epistle, puts it like this in, in 1 John 1, um, the first three verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you as the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you this eternal life which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, God's desire and his plan is to reveal himself to us. He's not a distant God. He's not unknowable. He's not untouchable. And he demonstrated that and he proved that when he became a man, when he became flesh and dwelt among us. 
God took on flesh and blood and lived right here on this earth amongst men and women just like you and like me. But with Scripture, we've got to be very careful and we need to think carefully. So, yes, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, did become a man, did become a human being just like you and me, but he also became a human being very unlike you and me, if that's not totally confusing for you. So, yes, he was completely like us in one way. And yet in another, he was completely different. What does the Bible say about that? It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way like us, but without sin. And that's the difference. So yes, very like us, in that he's lived life. He understands hardships. He understands difficulty. He understands the, the, the messy business of life and having to make choices and decisions. He understands all of that. He understands with what it is to live as a, as a person, but without sin. What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that Jesus in his entire life never had a single thing for which he had a regret. Can you imagine that? We all know what a regret is like, wishing we hadn't said or done, or wishing we had said or done. In his entire life, Jesus Christ never had a reason to regret anything he did or didn't do. So yes, like us living the best messy business of life. Yes, like us making choices, making right choices, hard calls sometimes. Despite the injustices, despite the struggles, despite the hurts, despite the misunderstandings. And still, and yet... In that circumstance, sharing in our experience, still God. Still God in His glory and His splendor and His magnificence and His power. But still God, yet a man, so that we could know Him. In the verses that we had read this morning from Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times. And in various ways. But in these last days. He has spoken to us. By his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. Again it's like a little aside. Yeah he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things. By his powerful hands. But in these last days. He has spoken to us through. His son. Jesus Christ. So to repeat myself. Very like us. Living this messy business called life. With all its challenges. All its hard call, calls to make. All its choices. All its injustices and hurts and struggles. And yet 
was still God. God in all his glory, God in all his splendour, God in all his magnificence, in all his sinless perfection and power. But living a human life, a human person's life, so that we might know him. What, why though, why is it important that we would know God? Is it important that we would know him? Well, he thinks so, and John records for us the amazing words in John 17 when God the Son is speaking to God the Father. And we get a little glimpse into the Godhead in conversation. And in John 17, 3, he says, Jesus says, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is what it's all about. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is what life is all about. That we might know God, the only true God, and that we might know Jesus Christ whom he sent. That is the essence of life itself. One last little bit of theology before we answer the question, what does that mean for me? We saw in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, the word, the word who'd been with God from the beginning, the word that is the truth in person, he became flesh and blood as we thought so that we might know him. So that we could know God. Because we've, we've seen, I hope, that knowing God and knowing Jesus is the same thing. Because they are inseparable. That we might know them. But he also became flesh and blood to save us. And that is massively important as well. He became flesh and blood so that he could save us. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul just adds at the end, of whom I'm actually the worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to make God known to us, yes. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, whilst, the, 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 whilst Jesus Christ should take on flesh and blood was essential for us to know him. It was essential for our salvation. For, you see, because for a righteous and a just and a holy God to be able to pardon us to be able to forgive us, to be able to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. He needed to have flesh and he needed to have blood because he needed to shed that blood for us. That's what everything in all the Old Testament sacrifices and pictures and shadows pointed forward to. And Hebrews, which uncovers for us so much of, of the symbolism and the, the shadows of the Old Testament, there the writer tells us in chapter 9, 
In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Peter, in his epistle, in the first epistle in chapter 1, he writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as in silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He had to have blood and he had to shed that blood that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven. Since the children of flesh and blood, Hebrews chapter 2 this time, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shed in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So to repeat myself again, Jesus, the eternal word, became flesh. God made it personal. When he came and became flesh and blood so that we might know him and understand. But so that he became flesh and blood so that he could save us. So that he could die in our place. So that he could shed his blood for us and buy our forgiveness. So Jesus Christ, a man, a human being, a person just like you and me but without sin. He shed his blood on the cross when he willingly allowed himself to be taken and crucified in our place that he would pay in our place the death penalty for our sin. That is why he came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now that's it's maybe quick and easy to say that. But can you imagine, can we imagine just for one moment what it was like for Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, to choose to die for people who actually hated him. People who had wanted nothing to do with him. The start of the week they're saying, Hosanna. By the end of the week they're saying crucify him we will not have this man to rule over us they rejected everything good and kind and true that he had done for them and they threw it right back in his face no we'll have Barabbas the murderer we will not have this man because that is the setting in which Jesus Christ went and offered himself in our place and paid with his blood the penalty for our sin. Romans again, chapter 5. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the blood of his son. Now, I can hear 
myself, and I can maybe hear some of you say, well, I'm not actually God's enemy. I'm Actually, I'm not even sure about being a sinner. I I do try my best. I, I, I try and be a good person, and I mean, I've not murdered anyone, for goodness sake. So are we sinners? Are we enemies of God? Do we need to be saved? Is it actually possible to be reconciled with Creator God? Well, I'm going to put my hand up and say, for one, I'm a sinner. Absolutely, and I needed to be saved. You know, the Apostle Paul, or some people would call him St. Paul, he wrote and he said, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the absolute worst. But what about, what about each one of us? What about you? <coughs> now, I think there are two verses I want to share with you this morning that are, maybe help us before we, before we finish. Firstly, if we read together in Isaiah 53 and 6, it says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Christ, the iniquity of us all. But it's that little phrase there, all of us have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And we are sinners. We are enemies of God in the, in the, in the language of the Bible. Because we choose to go our own way, which is the opposite direction from which God would have us to go. Now, none of us like being told what we can or can't do, do we? Anyone here raised a child? Okay. No one naturally chooses to obey. What, what's the first thing a child, the first word a child learns to know, uh, to say? It's no. We don't need to be taught how to disobey. We are naturally at enmity with God. We choose our own way. Even though God's revealed himself to us, proven his intentions and his love, when he came to live with us and save us and set us free, even though he's shown his sacrificial love in paying our penalty when he died for us on the cross, even though he's, he was totally innocent, and the authorities declared him innocent. Even though he is our creator, knows and wants only what's best for us. And he absolutely does know and want exactly what's best for us. We still keep on saying no. We still keep rejecting him. We still keep on choosing what we want. Sometimes, regardless of the cost of other people. And that's what the Bible calls sin. That's what the Bible tells us makes us enemies or rebels against God. Because we, despite everything he has said and everything he has done, we still choose to go our own way 
nor I will say what I'm going to do. And that, we are told, estranges us from God, puts us at enmity to God, and we are heading towards self-destruction and ruin when we walk on that pathway. So that's the first sense in which we are sinners. The second sense, I think, which sometimes we overlook is in Romans chapter 3, and just reading verses 22 to 24. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Greek, uh, Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. In the same way as in Isaiah, we've all gone our own way. I like it when the Bible says stuff like that where there's no way to interpret it. All means everyone. In the same way it says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You see... Actually, what the Bible here answers very clearly is the error which we'll hear all the time, and that it's about how good or bad we are or have been. And it is absolutely not. People will think, and we take some responsibility, that we're not clear enough on that, that it's about how good we've been. Well, you know, I'm a good, kind, generous person. Or he's a thief, he's a murderer. But whether we're an Old Testament first century Jew, whether we're a 21st century Scot, or whether we're an imposter from down under, we have all sinned. And we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Now, I've heard many people say, and I'm sure you will as well, I'm basically a good person. And in some ways, there are many good people to a certain degree. But I don't know anybody who honestly, who absolutely honestly claims to be perfect. Because that's exactly God's standard. And that's what it means when it says we are fallen short of the glory of God. It means that we are not perfect. It means perfection by displaying the glory of God in every single thing that we do or choose not to do. In every action and every reaction. In every reaction, even when we're tired or we're not feeling very well, or we've been misunderstood or misrepresented or, or, or whatever it might be. It means that we have never, ever, and never, ever, miss an opportunity to do good. And it means that we have never had a regret, even for a moment of an hour of a day, where we know that we've said something that we shouldn't have said. Or we wished we'd said something when we didn't. Or maybe it's a thoughtless word. Or maybe it's a forgotten promise. We all fall short. I fall short. Paul, St. Paul falls short. What about you? Do you fall short? Well, if we are perfect, 
We are absolutely like Jesus Christ because he was absolutely perfect. However, if we're honest, we're nowhere near perfect, are we? Even for an hour of a day, I don't think I'm perfect, ever. However good I might feel a day I've had, I've fallen short. And so we need to be saved. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be turned about from going our own way to going His way. We need to turn from being enemies of God, of Jesus Christ, to be followers of God, of Jesus Christ. We need to be redeemed. We need to be brought back. The penalty of our sin and our imperfection needs to be paid for in blood. And that is why Jesus Christ came. That is why he showed us what God is like. That is why Jesus Christ came and lived here. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And he shed his blood when he died in our place. And he took our place and he took our punishment. And he purchased our Redemption, our forgiveness. That's the gospel. That's the good news of salvation. That's what I want to share with you this morning. That is who God really is. And that's what it's got to do with you and me. To finish. Size of relief everywhere. He's finishing. To finish. Do you remember we read, when we were reading in Romans 3, a passage I read started with these words. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What does that mean for you and me? What does all of this mean for you and me, that Jesus Christ came and became flesh and lived amongst us and showed us God and died in our place and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven? What it means for me today, what it means for each one of us here today, is we've got a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We can choose, as many people do, we can choose to go our own way. We can choose to continue to be masters of our own destiny. We can keep doing whatever we want, wherever we want, with whoever we like and choose to our own destiny and we will pay the punishment for that choice ourselves. It is a very simple choice to make. Or, or we can choose to believe that Jesus Christ was God and is God and he did come. And he did come and become flesh and he did live here upon the earth and he did Die, and then he rose again on the, on the third day to prove that he had paid the price fully and that God had accepted his sacrifice in our place and he can set us free from sin. He can set us free from the power of sin in our lives and all the destructiveness that it brings and all the relationships in our lives that it ruins. But more particularly, he can set us free from the penalty of death so that we can be forgiven, we can be restored, and we really can know God. We can know our Creator. We can know our Maker. We can know and understand all His good intentions and desires for us. We can claim His good promises for us. 
a relationship with our maker can be restored. And that is why Jesus Christ came. We can choose. We can choose. We will believe this. We will believe this. And we will tell him. And we will thank him that Jesus Christ came and died in our place. And we will ask for his forgiveness. And we will know that forgiveness. And we will know that forgiver. And that is the gospel message. It's what the Bible calls eternal life. That we would know God. And that we would know him and be with him forever. That is what the Bible calls eternal life. Life without knowing God is no life at all. Life knowing God and his son Jesus Christ is life in all its fullness. The choice is so simple. And the consequences are so enormous. Can I close with two verses of God's words which sum up completely and concisely. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Choose well. Choose life. God bless you. We're going to close with the hymn, 10,000 Reasons.